Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll. Taking time out of my busy schedule. I'm ruling the universe of contemporary broadcasting to say, hi, I'm live. Yeah. Which uh, it makes for a lumpy crib. Yes, that's what someone said once on the radio. <laughs> I watched the history of the Seattle radio yesterday on uh, DVD. That's my guest. And there's a Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is here. He had his head amputated, and he's feeling much better. Howard Lapidus, manager of the Star, is yet to drag his life and lovely frame into the uh, into the room, but he'll be doing that shortly, or he'll be doing it uh, slowly. <laughs> most likely slowly. slowly. Most likely slowly. Oh, a giant bag of Funyuns. Hey, we do out a party at Outlaw Radio. We're the fun ones with the Funyuns. Ooh, there's a new picture on the wall. For those of you who like to keep track of the pictures on the wall at Outlaw Radio. Uh, number 33. Who's number 33, the, the basketball player? You're going to have to consult Billy Dilly regarding that. Oh, I saw Billy Dilly on America's Highways last week. <laughs> no kidding. You're driving a lawnmower. What the hell that thing was? Yeah, it's a little frightening. Yeah, it's, it's like you see these guys that... Uh, you know, uh, aren't supposed to drink, and they take away their car keys, and then you see them on the 405 in their golf cart <laughs> heading to the liquor store. That's Billy Dilly. That's Billy Dilly. I said it to my Uber driver. I said, look at that thing. That's best Billy Dilly. He says, what's a Billy Dilly? <laughs> I said, the guy's driving it. I don't know. What's a Billy Dilly <laughs> with you? That you. pump. Well, speaking of the Jewish diaspora, Howard's not back yet, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, but your guest is here. My guest is here, and I'm gonna, i i got to set this up about uh, our, our guest and the topic of the conversation. Oh, there's Howard right now. Hi, hi. Nice haircut, Howard. Thank you. Got to show that on the radio so we get closer to the microphone. Uh, as Mark C.G. Boyer and I were discussing uh, just moments ago, or minutes ago, one of his close personal friends was uh, over there in the former Soviet Union, when it was still the Soviet Union, and them damn Soviets were saying to each other, you know, we got too many damn Jews in this country as it is. Uh, <laughs> Wait, the Soviets, they, they, it's it, it, millions of Jews in the Soviet Union. Well, they, yeah, but they don't, they don't call them Russians or citizens. They're not allowed to be citizens. So they said, we need to boot these bastards out. Interesting that a significant portion of them settled in Germany. Isn't that strange? Yeah, I thought that was weird. I asked uh, my friend Gennady about you got, it. you got to get on the mic, Mark. I'm sitting right here. Yeah, see, when I ask him to do it, do you see what happens, bro? He leans into it. He, yes. he moves onto the mic. He was a, uh, he was a, a, a higher math teacher. Yeah, I believe you. Okay, keep going. And then we, uh, we met over at Home Savings uh, Program. Of course, don't we all Jews meet over home savings programs? <laughs> yes, we do. 
that was operating in uh, in that area. Well, I, I was reading in this enormous article by some journalist whose name escapes me, who was actually threatened with death by uh, the Russian gangsters because he, he okay. said he said something impolite. I guess we're all we're all doomed now. <laughs> uh, that the guy when he when he found out he was coming to America, he was so excited. Free at last, free at last. I can steal, I can rob, I can kill, I can do all I want because I'm coming to America. Well, just like Neil Diamond. So what's your point? My point is our pal Punch here had the rare personal pleasure of looking these guys right in the eye and walking away alive. <laughs> how, did, how did you do that? Uh, you know, listen, listen. Uh, you know, 47th Street in, uh, in the Diamond District, uh, you know, this is new. This was new to uh, to them. And once they found, uh, uh, you know, 47th Street, how it was operating, it, it, it was a gold mine. And, um, you know, that's when something horrific happened. Someone got killed right on, you know, broad daylight. Who was that? Park. Right in the middle of, uh, uh, you know, there was hundreds of people walking by right between 6th and 5th Avenue. And, and uh, you know, this created a, a chaotic atmosphere. Well, I would imagine so. Yeah, because, you know, they said the Russians are here, finally. You know? uh, so it was just a random person or, or it was a... It was a oh, no, this, a, guy was a, a diamond, this guy was a diamond dealer and he was uh, officially getting, you know, extorted. He was getting extorted. Of the mob, yeah. And and he wasn't paying up, so they decided they're going to make an example out of him. Is that they what made happened? An example out of him, right? Okay. So they and, killed and, him in broad daylight. Huh? A, a very fine example. I would have gotten the message right there. Pay up, shut up, or get out. You know, you got these other guys also, and they all have Jewish names, like Boris Mayfield. You know, that's a Jewish name. What uh, what year are we uh, talking about? The other guy, Marat Baluglov. You know, when when was this, Punch? This was in the early 90s. Okay. You know, after 90s, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, and like that, in the 90s. Right. And these guys come over, and right away, the, I mean, the FBI was not prepared for them at all. They weren't prepared for the Sicilian uh, mob with them. <laughs> they were always twenty years but behind. But the Russian guy, the Russians have no rules like the Sicilians have. No, yeah, I... they have more rules. They have more rules. Explain that to me, because I, I thought the, the, they just didn't care. I mean, their rule was the pistol, and why, that was why the. Why are you having me explain this? I'm not part of. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to get me in trouble over here. You know? uh, um, well, just say to the best of your knowledge. Listen, they had they had guys from all over the place. They got guys, you know. There's a, a, a Georgian mob boss, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, that was running things. And then who does he go to? He goes to the Georgians, of course. You know, um, and, and uh, most of the guys, you know, they were on 47. You know, operating with diamonds and stuff like that. You know, you have this guy that's in the most, most ten most wanted, Mogliatich. I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mogliatich. Tion, this guy, they call him the Brainy Don. This guy was, he was the one that, uh, that showed all these mobsters how to operate with the gas scams and all this stuff that was going on. And when you say to, back up, because we punch extort millions of dollars from uh, you know from collecting money from taxes and stuff from gas. 
Well, back, back, back up a second. Howard had a question for you there. Yeah, it's it, explain to me what the gas thing is. Explain to me how they controlled it and what what uh, what the fear was. Well, uh, they were, they were, I, I really don't know how the operation works or anything like that because I I, I wasn't aware we're going to be talking about this specific subject about that. You know, I'm just mentioning it that this is one of their their schemes that they attack the government. Uh, industries, uh, technologies, uh, energy—you know, uh, you know. When they look at when they look at United States, they, they look at it like a like a pizza pie, and they're going to split it up just like a pie. But they they want to see, you know, uh, what makes it move, and, and and if they could stop it from making it move, you know, just like in Mother Russia, you see. If you learn how to operate uh, through uh, uh, a series of, you know, when it was communism, you know, you're going to go from one blockade to another blockade, and, and, and if they can navigate, you know, uh, themselves properly through those channels, imagine what they can do in a free country. Yeah, it's like, that's why there was a, what's the else one was saying, free at last, free at last, I'm coming to America, I can rob, I can cheat, I can steal, I can kill, I'm who's going to stop me? Who's going to stop me, the police? No, they're... are unstoppable, man, don't, don't you understand that, you, you know, that the, they weren't prepared for this? Well, well for hey, punch, 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 make me understand this, okay? I, I want to understand it, make me understand it. Okay, well, uh, I want to. I want to get. Wanna... I want to get schooled in this, and I know that you know. Like, well, as I said to Howard, I'm not him, but the FBI wasn't even prepared for the Sicilian bomb okay, when they came. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't prepared for this, and uh, you know, when when they when they arrived here, it was just it was too late. Basically, you had a you know a bunch of bosses that uh, were all dedicated to one cause. Money. You know. Yeah, that's right, and they made it work. They made it work in this country, and they're going to still make it work in this country. They can't stop it. You know, I thought it was kind of interesting. The, they don't exactly have, well, I can't say this about everybody because you can't make blanket statements, but some of them have the attitude of it, it's easier to kill somebody and not have to deal with them than it is to deal with them. You know, if you owe somebody money, just kill them. <laughs> well, you're not going to get the money one way or the other. Yeah. So you might as well just kill him. I'm, I'm for all that. Yeah, that's like that's our old radio theory. Yeah, yeah, that's how we did it back in the day in radio. <laughs> well, I owe you a towel. Uh, what's that now? I owe you a towel. You owe me a towel? Yeah, didn't you throw one at me last week? Are, are you trying to uh, hijack the show and talk about what happened to you last week? No, but uh, I'm going to have to kill you now. Okay, please. Brian, please do. I owe you a towel. Please. A genius would be thrilled. thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, genius is uh, Howard's... Spousal equivalent. <laughs> spousal. She's still your spousal, isn't she? Yes. We never... Uh, leave it to the great Don Walvin. Uh, we never signed the papers. Well, he was giving you a divorce, but he died. Right. He didn't want me to get divorced. Oh. He's a divorce attorney. Yeah, he was a he. He kept saying he was family practice lawyer. He was, and and for me, he was family, and and he treated me like a little brother. And God bless him. That's the end of that. And the only reason I talk about Don on this show is because he was such a big part of this show for mm. so many years. But this was a decent human being. No, oh, very decent human yeah. being. Great fun too. Yeah. Oh, great fun.
Great. To suffer the digression there, ladies and gentlemen, we were talking about that's the late a, that, great no, Donald. No, that's okay. I, I, I don't think Punch ever knew Don. Uh-uh. Are you... No, I did not. I did not. I did not. But um, he was uh, uh, eminent. What, what, what I did, what I did um, find uh, today. Today's the twenty-first. Am I correct? Yeah. All right. Then or, the, or thereabouts, because close this enough. Show, this show is being well, heard over a variety well, of different give, outlets. Give me, give me two minutes with this. All right. Because this has. This is something else that, that happened and occurred. All right. After 15 years, these behind a French heist surfaced in Serbia. Now, in Serbia, they believed that they were safe, but a few blood drops betrayed them. Like the trail in blue, almost. Goldberg's mm. book. <laughs> All right. 15 years after a daring robbery at a French jewelry store... The four alleged perpetrators have been found in Serbia. It's called the Belfort Job. Hmm. It has all the hallmarks of the Pink Panther operation. The modus operandi used by an international jewel thief network of Serbs and Montenegrins responsible for some of the most audacious robberies, robberies of the past two decades. That's right. So... This, this happened today, and four guys got arrested. But they go on, you know, talking about the history. And it says between 1999 and 2015, these criminals are thought to have carried out at least 380 armed robberies. That's a lot. Targeting high-end jewelry stores and snatching 334 million euros. You know, that's what uh, $400 million worth today. Um... You got any of that under oh. your floorboards? No, I wish I wish I did. I wish I did. But these guys, they got caught today. And this is amazing because the way they got caught was they um, they left a, a little piece of, you know, like a little uh, blood drop, but they got cut hmm. 15 years ago. And they kept this DNA, and they got them with that. And I had a case in Manhattan that I also got cut. And I left a, a big blood trail, and I never got caught. <laughs> I guess at that time, they didn't collect DNA on burglaries or robberies. They just did it for murderers then. These four guys, uh, I'm going to say poor schmucks, got caught, because I guarantee you they don't have that money. I, I, you know, I guarantee you they're probably maybe even broke today. You know, um, why would that be? They, they all of those heists and all of that money that they robbed, why are they broke? Well, because you don't really get what, what it's worth. Explain. You know? Explain that. It's, it's like this. Um, you know, you have you have some stolen swag, and it, let's say it's worth a hundred million dollars. I mean, it's like anywhere else. You're going to get thirty percent. You know, so you're asking thirty million for it, and you're not going to get that. So. You're going to haggle and haggle until, you know, you just break it apart and, and sell, uh, you know, sell the pieces of what it's worth. So why is, it worth, why is it worth them taking these kinds of chances? Would you be happy with, with uh, somebody throws $450,000 in your lap right now? Hey, will that be you? I'm right here. 
I'm just saying, that's not a lot of money, but... No, $450,000 in my lap. Hey, punch, 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 punch. They're just workers. Punch. These are not masterminds. Punch, punch. $450,000 in my lap. Yeah, that's easy. But these are schmucks that are out there taking chances. They're they're out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And let's say, let's say... um, uh, it's not. Let's say it's, it's uh, eight hundred thousand. You know, let, let's double it. Yeah. Okay. Let's triple the money. All right. It's worth it. You know, is it worth it? Now, now for some people, ten thousand dollars, it's worth it. Okay. Mm-hmm. For some people, ten million, it's not worth it. Well, so, no. Everybody, you know, everybody's got. Everybody, everybody has their price. But I'm, I'm exactly. wondering the mindset and of, of guys like that, and you know the mindset of guys like that better than anybody in the country right now, because your father's on a beach somewhere in, in somewhere, <laughs> and, and, um, you know better than anybody, the chance that's being taken, how it has to be executed. Um, for all of these things to happen to get that and then to give it away for virtually nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, those guys that are getting caught, they are not the ones that are profiting from this. Okay? We're going to go back to the Russians again because the Russians were the ones that were buying everything in the last, you know, 10 years. Maybe 10, 15 years, we can say safely, that it was coming from Russian criminals and they were purchasing, you know, uh, these stolen lots, we call them, that, you know, uh, uh, stolen. these are these boom, these heists that they would do. Uh-huh. And uh, they're getting more aggressive and they have younger, a younger generation doing them. And it's getting scarier because they're getting more desperate. You know, Europe is not what it used to be. It's locked down. You know, there's a lot of authorities so, all over the place. One one thing I've learned from you along the way is that uh, these heists in, in your time and what you learned from your father are planned with such amazing precision, uh, rehearsed. Uh, it's, you just don't show up and rob stuff. They know what they're going for at all times. They know how long it will take to get it. They know how fast they've got to be out. I mean, I could go on and on and on what I've learned from you. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And, and I could probably pass the test. But um, when you say more desperate, they're getting more desperate today. Um, yeah. Because this is a different generation than you. You're retired from that. Uh, they're getting more desperate today. Explain to me what that means. What are they doing? What are the chances that they're taking? What are they missing along the way that you put into the system to work? Uh, they're, they're, they're taking uh, more risk, and uh, it's not worth the reward uh, that they're you know raking in. And they're using... They're using items that's going to damage their reputation that was carefully built up all these years. For example, on one of the last heists in the Ginza district in Japan, they used um, pepper spray. You know, that, we, didn't, we never used that. We never, you know, implemented something that could damage somebody's eyes, you know, or to, you know, that's injuring another person. 
And uh, this well, you, is you didn't believe you didn't you, you didn't believe in okay. taking guns, right? You didn't. There was no injury. If you had a gun and wasn't loaded, right? Well, guns, if, if there was a gun, it was a pop. You know, it was only a pop. Uh, meaning, you know, hey, listen, we're there. We mean business. You know, this is a real robbery, and uh, you know, we're there for the for the for the diamonds, and we're there for the you know for the money or whatever we're taking. Um, and we have to make the people that are protecting this understand that you know we're 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 coming in there and we mean business. Uh, just this is it's only for show, you know. Yes, it might be scary, you know, the first couple of you know seconds, but no one's gonna lose their life, and I'm gonna make sure of that, you know. Uh, and uh, and there you go, you know, they're getting more aggressive because if you're coming in and you have a big can of uh, mace, you know, and you're spraying people. Now, now you're using, you know, you, you know, you, you're, you're turning this into something else now, you know. Yeah, when you actually get to the point where the people are really in danger, or they might get injured, I mean, you were telling me before you, when you were on the show that if there was glass being broken, you make sure that, that the uh, the people in there don't get hurt, <laughs> that the guns uh, either have no bullets in them whatsoever, or they're loaded with blanks to get fired when you first walk in the door. Because accidents happen. And being a professional in this business, as long as I was, uh, I've seen accidents happen, and, and, and it happens when people are not, uh, you know, following following this protocol. And you need to make it mandatory, number one, that no one gets hurt. And this is why I had a lot of these discussions with my father, because he was against that I was even participating in armed robberies and bank robberies and, and things of that nature that brought me to the feds. And by the time I got to the feds, you know, what they had on me was incredible. I mean, they wanted to bury me alive. They had a whole container of rocket shuttle launchers, law rockets, you know, LAWs, that they said was going to, you know, Kosovo or Montenegro or somewhere in, uh, you know, Podgorica or some place in the, in the former Yugoslavia. And they said that they had my fingerprints all over that. Now, what part of the game... Since you know me, Burl, yeah, that I was ever part of anything violent. Never promoting a war or anything like that. Never, it never came up. Uh, with all the people that you met and interviewed, nothing like that would ever come up because this is not what we were about. And so the feds were lying, right? They were lying when they said we got your fingerprints all over these rocket launchers. It wasn't true. They weren't mine. That wasn't mine. I mean, they weren't my fingerprints because I know I wasn't there. And uh, but but these are the games that you know that they play to scare people off. And uh, I told you, my lawyer, the first lawyer that was appointed, not appointed, the first lawyer that was hired, uh, that was retained by my father, he was uh, shaking his pants. He, you know, he couldn't believe that it was United States of America versus probably standing near bitch, you know? That's crazy. I have the United States of America versus me. <laughs> that is kind of intimidating. Yeah, they're giving out months, you know, 280 months, minimum, minimum, 280 months. That's what they, you know, that's like a small little pop-up <laughs> that they give to people. And, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a lot of time. But, you know, they wanted to take my lights out yeah, because 
of what they thought that I was involved in. So they just make these determinations, oh, he must be involved in the war in Kosovo, he must be sending rocket launchers, let's fabricate a case against him. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, to, uh, me, to me, it was fabricated because I didn't do any of those things. That's uh, number just, one. Uh, number two, number two, they picked me up on, on, on the bank robberies in Manhattan that were done with home security guys, you know, guys from the insurance companies and from the... Uh, from the security companies of Manhattan that insured these um, jewelry manufacturers and the banks. And, uh, you know, they, when they first brought me in, they showed me pictures of my co-defendants. And I seen, you know, I know who, who was arrested. So I, I knew what crew they had. Mm -hmm. And that was the home security crew. And that was the crew that... We uh, performed uh, exceptional bank heists. Not many. I was only part of three, but th that's that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. That's yeah. enough. Yeah, when they get irked about bank robberies, three's enough. What I kind of thought was cute about the uh, one of your bank robberies, uh, Punch, is mm -hmm. <laughs> I was uh, reading about one of your bank robberies the other day. Uh, and I got kind of a kick out of the fact you guys didn't come in to the bank like waving guns, uh, you know, okay. Uh, you guys came in, came in through a closet the night before or whatever, the day before. You're already in the bank when the employees come in. I thought yeah, that well, was... We had, we, had, we had connections inside the bank. Yeah. That was part of it. And we knew exactly how much money was going to be there. We had, you know, people that worked inside the bank that were helping us out. And this is what made it, you know, it made it a special occasion because we didn't go there violent, you know. Uh, we actually, the way we went in was with the uniforms of the security company. And they had the clipboard and they had, you know, the walkie-talkie and the, and, the, and the gun on the side and they had the uniform and uh, they were coming in before the bank was even open. Because somebody pressed uh, the robbery buttons and they had to check them. So they opened the back, you know, they opened, they let them in. They let them inside, the, you know, where the, the cage is, the cashier, and uh, they told everybody to get down on the fucking floor. <laughs> you know? As long as we're here, so it shouldn't be a total loss, we'll take the money. Right. <laughs> That's right. They used a little French and they said, hey, don't touch the buttons, but. The night before, somebody in the crew, we uh, got into the bank again, and we cut all the uh, buttons, the alarms. You know, with a razor blade, you just cut the line, and they, you can't press the button anymore. And we took the battery, the batteries out of the remote control alarm that the manager would have. So there was no batteries in it. <laughs> Did they have a, uh, um, an alarm bell? And the drawers? Yes, that's what I said. We, 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 what we did was we took the, the battery out of the remote control alarm that would set off, you know, the robbery buttons because right. the manager would have it. And he, even if he was pressing it, it wasn't working because there was no batteries in it. The uh, uh, banks would have uh, one bill in one specific slot in the drawer and if that bill was removed, the alarm would automatically go off. 
and it was right, but we weren't we weren't removing we weren't removing bills yeah. in the in that area. We were already we, we got the money from the back where they put the money in the safe. You know where they have the safe where they take it out. So before it even went to the to the front, they already got the money. They know they they knew everything. Trust me. Would you uh, secure <coughs> the bank? The company the company that works for us. They are the ones that actually secure the bank, so we know where all these, you know, little tricks that they have to, uh, you know, notify authorities that there's, a, you know, a robbery in progress or something like that. And one thing that amazes me, we had on the show several years ago, I don't even know if the fellow's still alive, uh, a, a bank security expert, and he revealed the tragic story that you're in a bank here, say, in Los Angeles, and a robbery starts, and you press that button, and it rings in India. <laughs> oh, my. A guy in India answers the phone. You know, William Morris. <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah, and then in India, they call back the bank. Are you really being robbed? <laughs> hey, we're going to be back in 60 seconds on True Crime Uncensored. Don't go away. obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device and it's all free just go to your friendly app store and search for outlaw radio then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it it's free listen free on the road in your car at the beach or in your backyard it's all free from outlaw radio this is buddy twist saying good night from hollywood Back to True Crime Uncensored. Heard of it. And this is what happens, you know, and this is what happens with alarm companies when they wanted to get everybody to have alarms. I think he's been talking. I think he talked right through the whole break. (laughs) With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. It's always a pleasure to be here. It really is. I punch. Uh, whether yes. you know it or not, there was a 60-second break. So, featuring Mark C. G. Boyer. Everything is muffled. So, okay. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. All right. I won't move. I'll stay in this position. You can hear me now. Punch. Would you like a little giggle? What? Would you like some humor? Uh, not from you. Oh, why? <laughs> I, I worked for the banks for 15 years, and I was in fraud <laughs> pre- oh. prevention. And we had a mental midget come into one of our branches and perform a, a clean uh, robbery. Collected all the okay. cash from, the ca- from each cage, went to the last cage, got the cash, handed it back to the teller with a piece of paper and says, please deposit this for me. So she counted it out, deposited the money, and he got his receipt and left. That is the weirdest damn story. I yeah. have so many stories of nuts, but I wanted to ask you, um, you you planned all of your heists to the nth degree, and I suspect disposal of the merchandise was one of the aspects. 
Uh, I was curious to uh, your insight on the world of fencing. Fencing? Fencing. Fencing. Yeah. yeah fencing. fencing. The, the, the it's a sport that uh, <laughs> uh, mainly popular in Europe. It's a fence. It's it's a sport where they distribute the. Uh, yeah, like your buddy uh, Hitler, not the Adolf Hitler, but the uh, the fence that they called Hitler in New York. Being oh, Hitler. Yeah. So you had to deal with with uh, fences, and I'm I would suspect it's not a large community. So how how does that work? How do, how does like you have become a fence? Uh, how did how, oh, how did the fence. money? How to become a fence? Items? Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, okay. I didn't know what you were saying. All right, okay. How do you... You need money. You got cash? No, well, you, you steal jewelry. Oh, well, listen, listen. Diamonds. Talk you to me to when you got cash, okay? Talk to me when you got cash. If you want to be a fence, you need a lot of cash. <laughs> All right. Okay? If you want to buy something, you'll always find somebody that's going to sell you something that's stolen. That's oh. true. All right? And... If you want to be a fence, it's so easy and simple because all you need is money. And believe me, people will come to you and sell you stuff like it's hot stuff. Remember that movie back in the day with Dom DeLuise and um, Burt Reynolds? Yeah. Hot stuff, undercover cops, moved into the neighborhood, and they do a reverse sting operation. Okay, well, uh, you know, being a fence, all you need is a lot of money, and, and, and people are going to find you, you know, because if you want to buy swag, you, you tell them what kind of swag you want. I mean, you can buy jeans and sneakers, you know, off of a truck, but if you say you want to buy diamonds, jewelry, you know, uh, if you want to purchase uh, jewelry that comes from estates, then you, you're in the big leagues, and you're going to uh, find people that are burglars and robbers and... They're going to be bringing you merchandise, you know. Yeah, but they, they themselves have to have contacts that will repurchase the items from them. You see, the reason why I'm telling you, because my, my mother and father, they were, they were fences at first. They started out buying, buying stolen merchandise. So what, do you have, uh, like, say, Bruno Sulak and his pal Bicky over in Europe? Yeah. They're stealing stuff and they're shipping it to New York. Your dad's buying it and reselling it. Yep. And we used to resell it right into the right in the store. Right in the store. No problem. Of course there's no problem. You got a paper trail where you bought it from an importer. What does the importer know? And, and as long as you have a legitimate business, uh, no one's gonna message you. You know? And this is what I learned from my father that I never understood why everybody had to be had to have a legitimate business. Everybody that was working with us had to have a job. Either work for someone or have a job. Uh, they had to show some kind of legitimate, uh, you know, uh, paper trail that they pay taxes and, and bills and things up. So they they can't be they can't look like a professional criminal with a no no. Because they don't have a reason to pick you up now, you see? Uh, uh, the, the whole thing with the mob was, these guys don't have jobs. You know, how do, how, how, how do they have the money? How, do, how are they driving Cadillacs when they don't have jobs? They're all, all day gone. They just sit in social clubs. That's all they do. So, you know, this is why my father 
uh, he went against that, My... sitting on your ass, and you had to have a job. You had to have a reason for the money. Yeah. Well, I thought it was rather interesting that, that you and your father and your mother, after you pulled your first heist when you weren't quite 17, you must have been at the cusp of uh, 16 and 17 when you did your first heist. Oh, 16. was oh, such 16 a huge, old. huge heist, uh, 20 million retail or whatever oh, it was. Nice. And, uh, over 20 million. Over 20 million. And with what you stole from down the street... You opened a gems, a gemstones trading company, became the largest gemstones trading company in the world, legitimate, well, with all stolen true. merchandise. <laughs> yep. now, wouldn't somebody come in and go, I know that's from down the street? No, no, okay. no, no. Well, you're pretty uh, adamant about that. Tell me why. <laughs> because, okay, uh, I'm selling a, a six-by-four African amethyst. Yeah. All right, and I'm selling it for whatever because it's all 100% cost, right? Yeah. So I'm selling it for, let's say, uh, $26 a carat. Yeah. And uh, that's not a lot. So let's say if it's, uh, you know, close to two carats, whatever, it's a $50, $60 phone, and that's the price. Now, how is anyone going to say that that is their merchandise? There's no, there's nothing that identifies that they can say it's theirs unless it was in an envelope or um, a container that I removed it from. As soon as I removed it from that container or that envelope, guess what? There's no more trail of that. It becomes brand new inventory. And we had thousands of carrots of semi-precious and precious stones. Thousands. I mean, about millions of carats. Millions, okay? I'm going to be honest. Millions. And this was everything from diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, rubies. Uh, then you go to the semi-precious stones, and we, we were the largest in the business. We were shipping things to, uh, you know, we were shipping things to Japan. And to India, we were shipping things back to India, all right? Because we had all the, the sizes, the correct sizes, and, and we had the largest inventory. And your largest inventory was all stuff that you stole from other people, but they oh, were yes. but they were happy when about I was 16, it. That from that first from that first uh, heist that I did, I opened the vault, and uh, Howard Lapidus is going to like this because I was telling him, 16 seconds. Go. I was in that vault within 16 seconds, opened it, and uh, that's where the the better stones were. And I told you, we sold up eight bags, heavy bags, and uh, the whole, uh, the hardest part of the job was getting these stones, the rocks. The rocks. I mean, it's a bag of rocks. How do you get that bag of rocks up 10 flights or <laughs> up 10 floors or down 10 floors? Yeah, this is why we're, 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 we're so professional when it comes to um, the way we handled the bags and merchandise. And, you know, this is why, you know, we were incredible because the police and the authorities that were investigating us, they could not believe that we take the whole entire vault and we take our equipment back also. You know, heavy bottles, 
oxycetone bottles, uh, magnesium torches, uh, big hoagie drills. You know, these are, I mean, I'm talking about drills that they weigh 70, 80 pounds. We have to bring in, and then we have to carry out. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I was known for leaving a lot of the, the equipment behind, a lot of the tools. What, tell us for, specifically what you left behind. For leaving, well, yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm taking a couple of million dollars, and uh, you know, as I said, I feel bad for these poor schmucks that got caught because I know they don't get the money that I get. You know, I'm in the business. I'm the one that plans the heist. I'm the one that executes the heist, and I'm the one that takes the stuff. I buy it from them, very cheap, and then I resell it. And I'm the one that's making the million, not them. You know. What they're making is peanuts. They're just making a living, that's all. And, and the reason why is because uh, Serbia is not part of the UN, you know, the EU. It's not part of anything. It's, it's a poor country. Their, their monthly salary is $300 if you're a doctor. Hmm. Just, just for the sake of our audience, we're, we're, we are talking to a real former heist master. Bro, mm-hmm. let everybody know who we're talking to. Yeah, we're, we're talking to a Paul Stadamirovic, also known as a Paul Stadamirovic, also known as Punch, because he can punch a safe in under 16 seconds, which is pretty damn fast. And, and this is real, okay? He's not making this up as he goes No, no, on. this is all real. There's no show. This oh, yeah, is this why, is not a joke. This, this is, is a true story. This, this is, is in a, fact, this is, Punch, this is, in fact, why we are the number one true crime show in all of audio uh, <laughs> right now. Radio, podcasting, internet, number one in the world, and this is one of the reasons why. And we'd like to thank our friends at uh, the Guinness Book of uh, World uh, Records. <laughs> and eight uh, track tapes. Yeah, uh, that too. Uh, but this, this is real, and this is why I, when we have you on the show often, it is so fascinating because it's real, and the audience has to know that. Yeah, this isn't a movie. This is real. We also have to let the audience know this happened more than 15 years ago. So the, yeah, when, 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 when we're talking about you in the first person, yes. But when we're talking yeah. about things that, take, that took place yesterday that you happen yeah, to now. know a little bit about, whether it's because you know how they did it, you may not know who did it, but but you know exactly where they learned it and what they did. You, you know this. Oh, I know. I know exactly how they did it and who taught them and how they know how to do it. And I know... The only thing I don't know right now is... Uh, who is the person that's buying right. it? Right, but you, I in fact, you right. you are the John Madden of jewel heists. You are the man that knows just about everything there is to know about any heist that goes down any place, other than the the name and address of the guy that did it. Right. And when we're talking about stuff 15 years ago that you did, that's uh, we're talking about stuff 15 years ago that you did, that you know how to do, that you learned, and and uh, and pulled off time and time again. And we haven't even. And gotten, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Too. I, oh, of course, and we and we haven't even talked about your father today. We will do that another time. Uh, but it, it, your father was the it, it, it retired, uh, retired without ever getting arrested, uh, on a beach someplace somewhere in the world, enjoying his life and enjoying the profits of the life. Uh, but never got caught because he was, in fact, the master. And the one piece of advice I know he gave you was, "Don't get caught." <laughs> yeah. And uh, how'd that go for you? <laughs> Not quite as he good. He said, "No, no." He said that I was going to get caught. He told me he predicted it. How did he? he... Said, if you don't stop, if you don't stop your stuff. 
You're going to get caught, and you're going to do a lot of time, kid. That's what he told me. He begged me to retire. He begged me to stop. And he knew that I was doing uh, things that were unsavory. Uh, you unsavory, know, uns- unsavory in what way? Because I used to use the gun. But it, it wasn't loaded. Well, I mean, this fight, it doesn't really matter if it was loaded or not. Uh, it's a scary weapon, and I'm known for always carrying a 357 when I was carrying a, a, a pistol. And, and the reason why is because I remember when I was a child and I got robbed when I was only five years old, and they stuck the same gun in my head, and I was so scared. I thought I was going to die, you know? I thought they were going to kill us. So he predicted, and, uh, your dad predicted that you're going down. My oh. father told me hard and fast because he said, if you ever get involved with heists that have to do, you know, like the movie Heat. Right. You know, he didn't like that. He didn't like that I like these fast action heists that have to do with weapons and, you know, and people. How old were you because at the time? mistakes t- happen. How old were you at the you time? You get a lot of time. How old were you when he t- said, get out of the business? I was 22, going on 23. Tough t- tough to retire 22 or 23. You, you think Very you're, you think you're invis- invincible, correct? I, I was invincible. That's, that's what the <laughs> No, you sat in jail for 16 I years. Never, <laughs> I could never get caught. You sat in jail for 16 years. God yes. bless you, but you weren't. your father was right. It was stupid. It was so stupid of me. I should have listened to my father. Right. That's my point. Always listen to your father. Always. I'm kind of talking to my kids right now. Children that are out there, they don't listen to their parents. They're fools. They're idiots. No one loves them. When they leave their house, that's it. Yeah, I know. Your parents love you. Nobody else will love you but your parents. That's right. Of course. I mean, come on. Well, I grew up a little different, a tad differently compared to other, you know, American children. But I'm not complaining. I don't regret anything. I don't live in with regrets. But, yes, it's sad that I had to do 16 years in prison. You're right. And and when you add up the parole on top of that, uh, the parole was, was just as worse as, as, as the prison because I had to have a, I had a 7 o'clock curfew. And it's like you're out, but you're not out, you know? Yeah. It's bad. Well, you, you would go to the casinos where you bet uh, your current uh, spousal equivalent. She's a cutie, by the way. Yeah, high limit room. That's right. When I was gambling heavily. And, and uh, uh, you say, I, I got I got to stop winning right now because I got this ankle monitor that's going to go off if I'm not home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had to rush home, speeding. I, 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 I used to get home in like 10 minutes. I don't know how I did it. But I used to have fast cars. And uh, I'm telling you, I live like a rock star. Uh, even though I'm not a criminal any longer, I've learned that I can make uh, more money not being a criminal, talking about it. But <laughs> isn't it like being the president? Once you're a criminal, you're always a criminal. Yeah. And by the way, that's not you know too what? far from <laughs> the fact. That, that's what people think. But, I, you know, there was a heavy change in my life that I really despise criminality, you know? Because it destroyed my life. It destroyed my family. It destroyed everything. Not not all, there's not, you know, you, you, what, what do you think, there's nice people in crime? No. <laughs> They're not nice. 
they're bad people, you know, and, and you have to watch yourself. So are you nice now, Punch? Oh, yeah. Today I'm, I try to... I tell you all the time, I'm like a saint today. <laughs> you know what? He really is nice. <laughs> hey, Punch, you know what? We're going to have you on many more times, as you know. And Thank you. Each, each and every time that we have you here, it is, uh, without a doubt, uh, fascinating. Thank Thanks you. Thank visit. you again. Thanks again. Oh, thank you, guys. I love you. You guys are the best. Come on. You know that. I mean, yeah, you're right. Crime show you're right. We are. In, in radio. <laughs> oh, Thanks you are. I would not do this if it wasn't for you guys. You think if I was getting paid, I would have been doing it. Talk to you soon, Punch. Hey, Burrow. Yeah. What's next? Magic Bat Adam of the Demons of Taking is live in the Wind Up Lounge on our radio live.com. <laughs> <laughs>